What's up, everybody? Wait, hold on. We're off this week. Yeah, we're off this week. Uh, but considering that it's the holidays, we still wanted to make sure that we put out an episode that you have something to listen to maybe when you're driving back and forth to, to visit with family um, or all the crazy things that you do over the holidays. And so uh, we went back through the archives, uh, the whole Mongols crew, and we found some of our favorite episodes. And this was one that really stood out. I had the unique opportunity to sit down with Rob Vincent, who is obviously a Hounds legend, uh, now coaches with the Academy. And it was the first of our Soccer and Steel series, which we hope to do many more of moving forward. But the conversation was fantastic. And it was one that we really, really enjoyed rob is just a great person and a great person to talk to so um so yeah we will be back in a few weeks but uh in the meantime enjoy this episode with rob and uh happy holidays welcome everybody to mongols of soccer and steel brought to you by roughneck scarves this is our first in a series of deep dives into soccer in and around the region i'm mike and joining me today is someone who in only a couple of year, short years of being with the team, was able to reach a legendary status that very few in the club have ever come close to. His impact on and off the field changed the way fans thought about soccer in Pittsburgh. A day after announcing his retirement as a player, he's returning to a club and city that embraced him as one of their own to start the next chapter of his career as a coach with the Riverhounds Development Academy. It's the one and only Mr. Rob Vincent. Rob, how's it going? I'm pretty good. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, excited to be back and excited to have a little chat with you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for being here to join me and just talk about your career. And, you know, considering that, that you've now taken a position coaching the academy, I feel like it would be great if we could start by sort of circling back to your own academy of days. Um, you know, yeah. so going way, way back, do you remember the first time that you kicked a ball? Uh, not specifically. Not specifically. Um, I just, I remember kind of a first, I have a few memories of playing when I was very young. Um, I was very lucky to get picked up by Everton when I was six. Um, and I remember the day that I got picked up by Everton. So that was, that's something that sticks out. Um, I was at a soccer camp uh, in Liverpool and, um, you know, did well, like won like a little trophy at the end of it or something. And um, later that evening, my dad got a phone call from a scout who was with Everton and um, told me, came into the living room, told me the good news. And I, I just remember being ecstatic and, and then, you know, the rest is kind of history. Turned up for training and it was everything that was cracked up to be. They used to train at Everton's first team training ground as well. So it was it was a dream come true. Now, you know, growing up in Liverpool, <laughs> were you always an Everton fan? Or was this just something because they, you know, they picked you, you decided, you know, you were going to go blue instead of red? Yeah, my dad was a blue. Um, so he grew up very close to Everton Stadium. Um, so he would go to all the games when he was growing up. So... Um, yeah, pretty much, you know, they, they, he would buy me the jersey when I was little, take me to the games. Um, and then obviously when I got picked up by Everton as well, um, that, that obviously helped me along. Yeah. I mean, as a parent, I'm just trying to envision, you know, if, if I found out that my six year old was picked up by sort of my dream club, what my reaction would be. How, how did your dad react when the phone rang? Um, I think, yeah, just excitement really. I think he knew that I'd be over the moon. Um, you know, at that age as well, it's not you know it's not the be all and end all if you're with a with an academy or not. Right. Um, so it was just kind of a bonus, and um, yeah, it's just it's just nice to 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 be getting that level of coaching from that young an age. Now, obviously, that's going to be a, a huge benefit going forward. Um, and yeah, it's just nice to be able to say you're you're on the books with a with a team, a Premier League team, and and also a team that you support and. 
like I say, that that obviously stood me in good stead going forward as well. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, so you, you spend some time growing up, you know, playing with Everton, being in the English youth system. And we're always curious about mm-hmm. sort of the difference between the English youth system and sort of the youth system here in America. So, you know, when you started coaching with the Hounds Academy when you were a player, was there anything that stood out to you as being, you know, somewhat different from how you experienced them as a kid growing up in England? Um, I mean, I'll start by saying that the Riverhounds do a fantastic job. Um, that was one thing that when I came over, I wasn't, I kind of had a, a, the conception that um, America was going to be way behind on that side of it. Um, and when I started coaching with the Hounds, it was clear that they, they're very much um, on the right path and they're, they're focusing on all the right things. Um, when I was, you know, six and pretty much all the way through till I was probably about 13 or 14, it's just so heavily technically based. Like mm-hmm. they're not worried so much about how fast you are, how strong you are. Um, it obviously plays its part a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just all about trying to make you as comfortable with the football as you can. Um, and so the Riverhounds do a really good job with that. Um, and obviously I spent a little bit of time with DC's Academy mm-hmm. and they're very much the same. It's all about just getting you comfortable with the ball at your feet. So um, from that aspect, I think... Um, from what I've seen, the, the U.S. is not doing too bad of a job. You know, maybe, you know, maybe there's a, maybe the English coaching system's a little bit further ahead just in terms of experience and stuff like that. And um, but I think the big thing for me and the big thing why England's probably a little bit further ahead is because it's the only it's the major sport there. And mm-hmm. um, over here, you know, kids have got four or five sports to choose from minimum. You know, there's even other sports that they can pick from. And, you know, for, for probably a large part of their younger life, they're bouncing between, bouncing between them and, you know, they may, they may do soccer for three months of the year, then they might go and do their baseball, then their football, basketball. Mm-hmm. Where for me, it was 12 months around, you know, you're playing football. And when for the two or three months you're out of season, you're still, you know, you're finding a little a Sunday league team to play with and you're mm-hmm. playing with your, with your friends on the street. So I think that's that's probably the only the major difference which maybe gives us a little bit of a um a little bit of the the benefit in england was that it's just it's year round you're going at it um and you're getting better that way i think the fact that americans bounce a little bit between sports maybe just kind of makes them more rounded but maybe gives them less focus in football or soccer yeah, I mean that makes complete sense, and and we've had a number of different people on this show that we've we've talked to this about. I think one of the other big differences, at least from what I've seen as a parent and as a youth coach, is that a lot of times you have kids in America where their mentality is, okay, I go to practice and that's when I practice and I go to games and that's yeah. when I play. Whereas you know in England and other parts of the world, when you have downtime, you're just playing, like you you just play. Yeah. There's there's unstructured play, and I think more of that yeah. in America could really benefit uh, the youth in general. But as you said, if you have different sports that you're playing, then it's hard to divide up that time um, amongst different activities. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, no, I mean yeah, when I was growing up, it was you went to school, you played as soon as you got to school. If you got there 15 minutes early, you kicked the ball around on the playground for 15 minutes. You went into school, did a couple of hours classes, break time, another 15 minutes of play, and lunchtime 45 minutes of playing you came out to school you went home you played with your friend in the street it was like that's that's all you did so you're probably playing about five or six hours a day and then if you had training twice a week you were getting that in as well so you know i, th- I think that's almost i don't know it's it's 
I think just in general we're getting away from that now, and even that's a debate that's being having in, in being had in Europe now as well. Is kids are, are far too distracted now, and they've mm-hmm. other things, you know, with their phones and, and laptops and video games and stuff. I think even kids nowadays are getting away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly when I was growing up, that was that was what it was all about, and it was a hundred percent football as opposed to maybe twenty five percent football, twenty five percent basketball. You know, and whatever, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, right. you see, America produces some of the best athletes, if not the best athletes in the world. But when you're talking about focus towards soccer, that's maybe where they just kind of fall back just a little bit. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, you know, I know when you moved to to the MLS, there were a lot of parents that we talked to in the academy who sort of lamented your leaving because of the way that you would impact their children as a coach. You know, do you have any coaches that you think back to, you know, when you were a kid that sort of left an impression on you like that? Um, Yeah, I mean, I was very lucky. I had some real good coaches. Um, at Everton, I, it's hard for me to really remember because I was I was only with Everton from age six to age nine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I really attribute a lot of my ed- football education to when I was a crew. Uh, they have a really highly renowned academy there. You know, Crew Alexandra. They've kind of bounced between League One, League Two, which is the third and fourth tier. So not a lot of people hear of them, but their academy system has produced a lot of good players. Um, Again, not not even big name players, not guys who have made it on the international stage necessarily, but just churning out really good pros uh, year in year out. So, um, the the head coach for a long time was a man called Dario Gradi, um, who actually was the f- head coach of the first team, but also coached um, in the academy. Um, so I was lucky enough to spend I think two seasons with him um, while I was growing up, and then another coach, Steve Holland who shortly after I left, um, he moved to Stoke when they went to the Premier League, became the academy director there or the youth team coach. And then he became the assistant to Chelsea and he's now the assistant for the England national team. So um, very lucky to be able to work with him. I think he was my under-14 coach. So, I mean, those two particularly stand out as as guys who probably helped me a lot. Um, Again, it's it's hard for me to remember exactly what, you know, their techniques and coaching styles used to be. But, um, you know, I, I really think that the time that I spent at Crew mm-hmm. um, from about 9 to 14 was, was probably the biggest, you know, the, the biggest development I had as a player. Are there any sort of personality traits maybe that they had that sort of endeared them to you, that, that that's why you remember them so fondly? You know, were they sort of players, coaches, in that they were, you know, sitting down with you, talking you through things, or was it more of sort of a tough love approach? And I guess, are there any of those traits that you sort of try to embody now as, you know, you're moving into coaching and obviously you coach with, with, uh, within youth systems before? Um, I've never really thought about it, but you're probably right. Um, very kind of just encouraging, to be honest. Um, you know, very rarely handed out passions, um, you know, because, again, you're dealing with, you know, 12-, 13-year-old kids who aren't necessarily going to respond well to being yelled at, being screamed at, you know. And um, obviously one of the big things we talk about now as coaches is is encouraging kids and, and making sure that they know that it's okay to make a mistake. So I think they created that environment. Um, Dario definitely was kind of the guy who built that academy to what it was. And it was, I think it pretty much was just founded on, you're here to learn, you're here to make mistakes. And, you know, in the process, you're going to become um, a much, much better footballer. And I remember, and something I always tell people um, and kids that I coach, 
to eight. Um, practice used to be six to eight, and they would encourage you to get there at five thirty, which partly was because obviously if you hit traffic, you would you would make, make, still make sure that you were there for six o'clock. But if you got there for five thirty, you would just stand, and they had boards all the way around this outdoor turf field, and you would just strike the ball against the boards from about twenty yards away, and the ball would bounce back to you. And um, the coaches would just walk around, just correct them a little bit of technique. And one week they might say, all right, this week just, just try and kill it against the board. And then the next week you'll be driving it with your laces. And at the time it gets a little bit boring. It's a little bit monotonous. But when you look back now, it's like, that's why, you know, that's why now when I go to hit a 30, 40 yard pass, it just happens and you don't even have to think about it. Yeah. Um, so it's something I've tried to kind of pass on to kids is like, just spend 20 or 30 minutes just driving a ball both feet right foot left foot over and over again you know in five years that'll just be second nature to you i mean considering how many how many goals you got outside the box for the hounds it's all starting to become clear uh you know where that may have started from Um, yeah yeah possibly (laughs) so you know obviously you grew up in the england system um you know there were some reports that there was some scouting going on for you there what you know, and going through Everton with your with your dad, obviously being an Everton fan, did you feel you know pressure as a as a six year old kid, or even as you know you were working your way through the system of playing in England, you know this this esteemed soccer country, and being involved at sort of that level? Did did you feel any sort of pressure as a player? Um, I think yeah, I think you put pressure on yourself because you want. I, absolutely just wanted to be a professional footballer and you're competing against every kid in the country basically you know everyone plays football so mm. you know you talk about there's 92 professional teams so that's you're playing what in our schedule we would maybe play about 20 25 teams a year so you know it, it, there's just tons and tons of kids all trying to make the grade and you know it's very clear I and mean, you, you you are told this when you're growing up is like maybe you know, less than 1% of years is going to make it to the top. It's usually 0.1% or, you know, there's some crazy stats out there. So you do put that little bit of pressure on because you just desperately want to be a professional footballer. And um, they kind of, in, in they still have contracts at that age. So it's like every couple of years, it's like they're picking their 18 guys. So, you know, they have 18 at U14, 18 at U15. So every couple of years, you're fighting for a contract with other guys. So you do put a lot of pressure on and, you know, I know my dad would, my dad was pretty good about it. He would always kind of try and take the pressure off and, you know, he would let me know, you know, if this is not what you want to do anymore, you know, I'm not going to, not going to hold you to it. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's what it's all about. That's what makes you better. That's what makes you fight harder. And, you know, but yeah, certainly there was pressure because you just want to be a professional footballer and that's, that's all you want to be. So you do put that pressure on yourself. I mean, I guess, you know, obviously there's there's a lot of kids in the academy who are maybe not necessarily pushing for professional contracts, but they are desperately trying to, you know, go for college scholarships and things like that. And there's that pressure that, yep. you know, like you said, as a player, you put on yourself. As a professional, have you found any sort of secret ways that you go about dealing with that pressure? Or is it just something that you find yourself sort of playing through and working through and it's just part of, you know, the game? Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think you have to almost, I think you, I probably still do put pressure on myself. So when I first signed with the Riverhounds, you know, obviously you didn't just walk straight into a starting spot. So mm-hmm. you then put pressure on yourself to become a starter. And then once you get in the team, um, you put pressure on yourself to, you know, achieve maybe a certain amount of goals or assists or whatever. So 
you're constantly doing it, but as you do get older, again, you do figure out, you know, ways to, to kind of deal with that. Um, and as you get more comfortable and adapted to the level, um, you do get better. And I think that's one thing that I think I've done well. Um, once I kind of found my foot in, in, in with the river hounds, um, I got really comfortable at that level. And, and then I started trying to kick on and, Again, when I when I joined with DC, again you put that pressure on yourself. You're not starting games. You, you're trying to figure out a way to, to catch coach's eye and and stuff like that. But I do, yeah. Certainly, as you get older, you 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 don't let it bother you as much, and you 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 kind of get a little bit smarter, and you can kind of work out how to get through it. Yeah. Let's let's talk about you know obviously your time with the Hounds. Is it true mm-hmm. that you requested a trial with the River Hounds when you were still in college? Yeah, that, that was. That that was um, that almost never happened because um, so I was coming to the end of my my time in in Charleston and I'd actually in in I, I knew that the the USL season started in like January February and obviously I wasn't going to be graduating until May so I kind of planned for that because I knew I wanted to try and carry on playing after college so I got all my classes that I needed to take on campus all taken care of by the winter so I the only thing I had left to do was like a couple of online classes and a couple of like internship hours which I knew I could do from away from campus mm-hmm. um, and then I just started calling an email in every USL club I could just for a trial and I couldn't get a response um, couldn't get anything in and um, it was I think Christmas break yeah it was Christmas break and I was spending it with she was my girlfriend at the time wife now and she's from Pittsburgh so while I was there, I was like, you know, just I'm just going to keep calling, keep calling. And <laughs> eventually I got through. It was John Rotts at the time who was the assistant to Justin. And I got through. I was like, you know, is there any chance you guys can bring me in for preseason? He was like, well, I don't know if we can bring you in for preseason, but some of the guys get together and play five-a-side uh, of a morning if you want to just come and play along. I was like, fine, I'll do that. And I came along a couple of times, played 5v5 with them, and, Justin was there, so I kept asking, like, you know, can I come for preseason? And they're like, ah, just keep coming along for the five-a-side. And then, it, like, Christmas break was over. I was ready to go back to school, and I just kept asking, can I come in for preseason? And eventually they were like, all right, yeah, come in for preseason. And so, yeah, the rest is history. I came for preseason, played in a couple of games, played, I guess, well enough for Justin to offer me a contract, and then made the team. But that, that was tough, because at that point, it's like, if I don't find a team now... You know, I don't think I ever will find a team because the season will start, or you'll get forgotten about, and then, you know, I'll I won't be playing football for the next year. So, you know, I'm glad it all worked out the way it did. So, you know, th- that's like an amazing story in and of itself, just about sort of the determination and the sheer will to just not quit and just keep pushing. But I'd like to take a step back. Are you basically saying that really we as fans should be thanking your wife for the fact that you're wearing or that you wore black and gold and that you are now back with with Pittsburgh? It definitely helped. Yeah, <laughs> like I say, I was in the city. I was staying with her and her family over the Christmas period, so it was like you know, I can I can go for training if they if they say yeah, come in tomorrow, I can do it. So that's why I committed to Pittsburgh. If she lived somewhere else, I probably would have done it with another team. So. Oh yeah. man, I feel like the Steel Army needs to make some songs just about your wife now, like just as a uh, <laughs> as a thank you. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, you know, while you were here, 
uh, it seemed like every year there were reports that were coming out year after year that you were having these amazing, amazing off seasons, you know, setting you up for more and more on field growth year over year. How would you approach the off seasons differently than sort of other USL players to give you that edge? I mean, the, the easy answer to that is I would just hand the keys over to Mike Whiteman every every winter, to be honest. Um, so after my first year, um, we'd obviously worked a little bit with Mike um, kind of throughout the season with warm-ups and like weight sessions and stuff like that. And then as the season was ending, you know, they say, you know, anyone who's sticking around in town, get touch base with Mike Whiteman. He'll give you an off-season program. And so I just got in touch with him and, I thought that that was going to be something that every player kind of took advantage of and it turned out only like three or four guys reached out to him, got programs and whatever. But I just bought into it. I mean, that's all it was. I mean, I my my off-season routine used to just be going out for long-distance runs and uh, trying to stay in shape that way. And when I spoke to him, he was like, you know, that's not really kind of soccer-specific. And I just bought into everything that he told me. Um, he had me on a weight program. He had me doing, you know, certain sprint exercises, just ways to correct running techniques, just little things. And it was almost like a little experiment for him as well. How can he kind of make us into better athletes, more soccer-specific athletes? Um, and so I really, I really enjoyed my first off-season with him. Um, I, I just stuck it the whole way out, you know, from the, the day the season stopped to, to the day the next season started. I was in almost every day with him um, and loved it. I enjoyed it. That was the biggest thing for me. It was like I didn't enjoy going out for long-distance runs, but I enjoyed going to the gym and, and you know, setting PRs. I'd never squatted or deadlifted before, and all of a sudden he was having me do it, and I could see my numbers going up. So it was cool from that perspective. Um, but I was seeing results as well. I felt like I was getting quicker, sharper, stronger. Um, and so that's pretty much all I did. I just bought into it. Um, and then the second season, uh, again, I just did – the same thing just kind of bought into whatever he was telling me and I I, you know I I think he's one of the most underrated guys in the whole organization because the the work he does not just with the pro team but the academy team is phenomenal and um, I think sadly I don't think the first team have used him enough Um, in in the past few years I don't know you know if Bob um, plans on using him much this year or not but I mean he he's a phenomenal guy he knows his stuff he he knows what he's talking about and i think he would make you know any athletes better than what they're currently are i was gonna say after hearing this i think bob might consider it so uh i think you made a pretty good case for I it mean, right it's, there. it's a no-brainer because yeah. you know as a as a football coach you want to just concentrate on the on the football side of it you want to do your tactics and, and stuff like that why not just hand you know the guys off to let let them let mike do the warm-up let them do the conditioning off the field and get them in the gym once or twice a week. I mean, for me, obviously I'd never been exposed to that before, but since I've met Mike and since I've worked with him, you know, the, the improvements that I've seen on the physical side of my game were, were unbelievable. So I find it hard to believe that you wouldn't want to use him as a coach. I mean, the results speak for themselves. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've had a lot of guys on here. And, uh, and we've talked about sort of motivation and, you know, some guys are motivated by the start of the season. They're like, I want to score 30 goals or, or, you know, things of that nature. And it's clear that, you know, you have sort of this, this grit and this determination to just not accept no. 
Um, and so, you know, I was going to ask you sort of what motivates you. Maybe it's not that, but where do you think sort of that, that grit and that determination comes from? And, and if, if it's more than that, if you do set goals and things like that, what sort of goals do you set? What, what motivates you to, to excel every single season? Um, I don't think there's like, a. I don't, it's not nothing really I set out too far in advance or anything like that. It's just, there's just kind of an, an inside desire to just want to, you know, every training session, every game is just be the best and just try my absolute best. And, um, yeah, I mean, goals and stuff are nice. And I, I used to sometimes set, um, you know, targets in terms of, you know, in college, actually in college, I scored nine goals every season. So my, my target was always 10 and I never reached it. Um, and then obviously with the hounds, you did, did be setting goals you were aiming for, but I mean, it was just be better. And I know it sounds kind of cliche, but just try and be better every day. Not, not have an off day in training, you know, not give the reason for a coach to, to kind of have a negative thought run through his head. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know, maybe that came from the, the competitive side of like we were talking about growing up in England where you're, you're one in a million of kids who are trying to make it. I don't know, maybe that's part of it, but yeah, it's just, it, it, I find it hard to, to, to think that any professional player would not want to be the best guy on the trainer field or not want to be the best guy in a game. But, you know, I think obviously some people approach the game differently, but for me, it's just, just give everything. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but don't leave anything out on the field. And I mean, your your approach has led to just so many great moments with the club as a player. From your standpoint, you know, which which memory sort of stands out the most for you from, you know, wearing a Hounds kit? I think the personal milestones. So obviously my debut, like just the, that feeling of, wow, I've like made my first professional appearance. Um, I think the first goal was, was, a, was a nice feeling. Um, but from a general, just overall best moment in a Hounds jersey, it was it, it had to be the six-five game, and it wasn't even my goal; it was, the, <laughs> it was Kevin's goal. Like the emotion that went through, like, like I remember it so vividly. The emotion that ran through me when Kevin scored, I was just, I was just like screaming, like my, I just felt like I was going to explode. And obviously, we were tired because we just played like a ninety-six, seven-minute game. But I just sprinted off into the corner after Kevin. Like, I don't think I could ever recreate that moment. Ever, like, no matter what I do for the rest of my life, that was just a phenomenal moment. I mean, it's one that that you know you're obviously talking about the miracle on the Mon, and many yeah. people across the USL. I mean, we we talk to a lot of um, you know people who do shows, a lot of reporters all across the USL, and to this day, they still regard that as one of the best USL games ever. Um, you know, was, just just yearly going back and just rewatching it because you know, especially those last few minutes were just insane. I mean, they were they were nuts. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've I've watched it so many times, and I and yeah, I I don't even like just watching the highlights. I like watching. I like putting on like the last ten minutes of the the full stream and just watching it. Yeah. And it it still gives me goosebumps now. It's it's unbelievable, and because we were down and out many times, like. It wasn't even as though this, you could sense a comeback coming. I mean, there was literally injury time when we were two goals down. It, yeah, there was 
that shouldn't it shouldn't happen it shouldn't have happened but it did and it it, it was a phenomenal feeling yeah no i and you know okay let's let's talk about this a little bit cuz um you know you sort of mentioned goosebumps um shortly thereafter i shouldn't say shortly thereafter but you you got the call to go to mls you know really the big league here mm-hmm. in america and suddenly you know you're the new guy again where you're having to prove yourself yeah. to a cu- to a club and fans that probably barely knew who you were what was that experience yeah. like sort of walking into the room for for dc for the first time um you yeah definitely nervous walking in you know you're walking into a locker room of guys who are you know a lot of them seasoned pros. It was kind of an older roster when I got there as well. Um, so you're a little bit nervous. Again, you, like you said, you know they don't know who I am. I'm just a kid from the USL who scored a few goals, and I'm coming to take someone's spot. Um, so, yeah, you are a little bit nervous. But I will say about the the locker room that I walked into was was really really good. Um, the guys there were really really accepting. Um, you know, obviously I went into preseason with them down in Florida and they made a huge effort. You know, everyone got to know each other. Everyone was hanging out, going out for dinner together and that. So they made that real, that made that part easy. Um, everyone was really easy to talk to. But then just from a football side, yeah, you have to prove yourself over again. And I, again, I, I think I thrive on that. Um, I don't, I didn't want to stand still. I wanted to, to see what the, what the next challenge could be. And I think it probably brought something out to me that I didn't think existed. You know, when you, you again, you you're just on the back of a season where you've made the, the best 11 in the league. And now all of a sudden you're like bottom of the pecking order again, and you have to prove yourself to you know Ben Olsen. You have to prove yourself to these older veteran guys who've been in the MLS for several years and they're waiting to see what you've got. So, um, yeah, I think I thrived on it, but it's definitely it's nerve wracking and it's tough. I mean, you you battled through it and you battled for playing time. Obviously, you saw some consistent minutes down the stretch. You helped the team mm-hmm. get into the playoffs. But you know, how would you sort of describe? You know, you mentioned a little bit here how you felt going into it. How did you feel sort of after your first full season at the MLS level? I was I was happy after the first year. I mean, six months in, I was not enjoying it at all because I barely played um, like you say they signed me as a as a left midfielder mm-hmm. which is where I'd predominantly played for the pre in the previous season with, with Pittsburgh um, but I just wasn't kind of fitting into DC's system it was a different system but they were still trying to play me out on the left I wasn't really enjoying it and I, to be honest it didn't really suit me I wasn't playing well even when they played me um, just because it was different um, and so it got to a point where I was like you know, I'm I'm not playing and, you know, my dream's going to be over at the end of the season. Just the way it was going, it was like, once once this season's over, they're not going to re-sign me because I'm not playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just went into Ben and I said, you know, I said, listen, I've played central midfield most of my career. I said, can, can we just move me back in there? Um, you know, I think, you know, I'm not offering you anything out wide. Um, so let's just try me in midfield. And he was like, okay, you know, we can do that. And, he started to put me there in training. Um, and then fortunately, you know, we had a couple of suspensions, a couple of injuries. Um, and then we played against Philadelphia at home and he just threw me in um, central midfield and had a decent game. Um, and then for the next couple of weeks, I was kind of in and out the lineup again, but I kind of, you know, showed them that I could play central midfield. And then, yeah, we went on that run. I think, you know, 10 or 12 games I started on the run. 
Um, we were outside the playoffs when we started, and by the end, we, we we ended up finishing fourth in the division. So, you know, you're always kind of left feeling, you know, kind of how if if it had been the other way around, and I'd have started all those games at the start of the season and finished on the bench, it would have been a bad season. But mm-hmm. the fact that I finished in in the team, um, I felt that it was a good season. And then, you know, they obviously put me on the protected um, roster, so I couldn't um, be drafted in the um, with the new teams coming into the league. So, you know, they clearly valued me. Um, so, I, yeah, I was really, really positive. And, again, I just I entered the off-season in a really optimistic mindset. Like, you know, I'm going to come back in next season, fight for that spot, starting spot again, and, and hopefully kick on. But, um, unfortunately, it wasn't to be. Yeah. And I guess, you know, just sort of circling back, you mentioned going into to Ben Olsen and sort of having that conversation. Is that something from a player's perspective that, a lot of players do where they'll go to the coach and just say, Hey, listen, I think I'm being played out of position. Or is that something where, you know, a lot of the guys are just like, look, you just got to take your minutes where you can and just sort of put your head down and try to push through it. Yeah. I think you have to pick those moments um, carefully because you don't want to be the player who's going in every couple of weeks. Um, and I'm also not the type of player who would ever go in and just complain that I wasn't playing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, you know, I've kind of always felt like those players are just kind of just taking the easy way out, if you like. You know, no one owes you any minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, the coach picks the best team that he can, um, and no one enjoys not playing. You know, I've I spent time in my first season on the bench with Pittsburgh, spent a lot of time on the bench with DC. I mean, ultimately, that coach is picking the best team that he that he can. You know, and it's nothing personal. It's just you're not in the first eleven. Um, so, but you you have to pick those moments. So there does come a time, and I, I kind of went back and forth on going to see him for like three or four weeks. Because again, you don't want to come across like you're giving in or like you're being weak or like you're begging for minutes because that's not at all what I was trying to do. But like I say, I, I just felt like I wasn't offering them anything, playing out wide, mm-hmm. and I could tell that. You know, I wasn't fitting into their system. And I felt like I could offer them more playing in the middle. You know, I'd... I knew that I was good enough to play in the MLS. I just wasn't doing it out wide. Um, and I had nothing to lose at that point. I wasn't going to be, you know, I wasn't really fighting for a spot. Um, and so I had to go in and see him. So it was the best thing that I could have done. And again, you know, I, I'm, I probably, you know, if he, if I'd have got a little run in the first team at central midfield and then fell out the team again, I wouldn't have been going in and, and you know, complaining on a monthly basis. But, um, you know, sometimes from time to time you do have to do that because he may have been thinking as well, you know, where can I where can I put him? Where can I put him? You know, he's just sitting on the bench now. You know, he's not really offering anything. And he may have been thinking about it as well. And you go in and see him and it just kind of flicks a switch. So, um, no, I'm, I'm glad that I went in to see him. And, and Ben was a pretty approachable guy as well. Uh, you just don't want to, you just don't want to go in and see him too many times. Yeah. And I mean, so you, you know, obviously you go from being sort of an on the all USL team to jumping up and really not getting minutes at all to, you know, having to go in, approach your coach, make the change. You end up seeing positive minutes towards the end of the season. When you sort of look back after that first year in MLS um, and sort of reflected upon what had happened, did you think, you know, man, this is this is really different from the from USL, or, or are there any major differences that you saw as you were sort of progressing through the MLS that separate the MLS from the USL beyond maybe skill level? Um, I mean, 
obviously there's like logistical um, differences, you know, um, you, the, the travel arrangements are a lot nicer, things like that. It's definitely a lot more, more, more luxurious. You're traveling on planes to games where usually you'd be on a 12-hour bus ride. Um, you know, the, you're getting meals and stuff after training and stuff like that. I mean, just little things that made it nicer and made it, um, you know, a little bit more luxurious. But, you know, overall, it's still just football. You're still just turning up in the morning. You're training, you know, for a few hours. Um, and, you know, everyone's fighting for their spot. So it's still it's a very similar environment. You know, there's not too much different from that perspective. But, you know, as you would expect, there's just a little bit um, a little bit more money at that level. So things are done a little, a little bit slightly different. Yeah. And you, you know, you mentioned it a, a few minutes ago, but uh, last year you came into the season. I think it was the second game of the season. You suffered the knee injury. Um, you know, when it happened, did you know that it was going to be as bad as it was? No, no, not at that point. I mean, I, I definitely felt something, and I, um, I tore my meniscus when I was seventeen as well. So I knew it felt similar. Um, but you know, you always. You always hope that it's not going to be as bad as as you first think, and um, we didn't. We we chose not to have surgery right away. I mean, they they kind of I know they did all their kind of tests on it with like the training staff and stuff, and um, they said you know it doesn't seem too bad. You know we'll just kind of let the swelling go down for a couple of days, and and we'll see how it responds. Um, and then you know obviously I went back into training about three or four days later, and we're still have, having issues. Um, and that that's really when I started worrying um, when I knew that I had to have surgery again because the first surgery that I had when I was 17 took me a while to come back from because they removed a large chunk of meniscus when I was 17 and that took me, you know, typical meniscus surgery, they only caught you about four to six week recovery and it took me about nine months to recover fully from that surgery just because of the amount of meniscus they had to take out. Wow. Um so that's that's when I started worrying again. I was like, like, damn, I have to have to have the exact same surgery in the exact same spot. You know, is it going to take me another nine months to recover, or is this one going to be quicker? Is this one going to be longer? Um, so yeah, I mean, when when you say you have to have surgery, it's never good. But I was more worried that it was in the same spot as as my previous surgery, and ultimately that's what's ended up being um, the primary cause for me having to to stop playing. I mean, as a competitor, how did you cope with not being able to play last season with DC? Not well at all. Not well at all. Um, like I, I like I put on the Twitter message, my wife has been an absolute hero for the past 12 months having to deal with me. Um, it's just horrible. I mean, you you know, turn up to the training ground and don't in, you have, first of all, you have to be there an hour earlier than everyone else. So you're turning up at like eight o'clock in the morning and everyone else is not turning up till nine. So when you go in the training room, you do your treatment for, for a little bit and then everyone else starts rolling in and all of a sudden they're going out for training and you're just going into the gym. And, you know, if anyone's been to RFK as well, you'll understand that the, the locker rooms are underground anyway. So it's already not the best of moods. <laughs> you know, it's pretty dark down there. So, you go into this little grungy gym for a couple of hours and everyone else comes in from training and it just sucks. I mean, you, you just want to get out and, and start even just, even just to go outside and just have a little jog or something. So every now and again, I would go out and 
and, and just have a little walk around the field while they're training. But even that kind of is horrible because you're seeing them, you're actually seeing them train, and then you want to you want to be involved. So, you know, I every pro will tell you that it's it's horrible being injured, but for a full season, it, it's it's it really is it's horrible. Yeah, I I mean I I can't even imagine <clears throat> um you know how how difficult that would have to be. Um, let's 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 try to take things back to a positive note here. You are now back with Pittsburgh. Um, and I guess I'll I'll ask the question sort of a second time. We know the first time you sort of landed with the team was, uh, large thanks to your, to your wife because you were here in Pittsburgh. Why come back a second time? Um, I mean, so what, when I, I've been kind of denying the fact that I was retiring for a while, but at the same time, it was at the back of my mind. So at the end of last season, um, I reached out to Jason and I just said, you know, if if I can't carry on playing, I said, you know, obviously I want to go into coaching. I said, would there would there be something available if I came back to Pittsburgh? And he said, yeah. He said, you know, if that that's not talk about it too too soon, but if that if that does come up, then then absolutely we'll talk about it. And we just kind of left it at that. Again, I didn't really want to talk about it too much. I still have my heart set on carrying on playing. Um. But when I was down in preseason with DC in January, February, and it really started to become clear to me that my knee wasn't going to hold up, um, then I really started kind of putting the foundations in place. And I started applying for coaching jobs, um, but obviously as well got straight on the phone to Jason and and just said, you know, this looks like it might be happening. Um, If we can kind of get something sorted, then, you know, that would be great. Um, and so again, we just kind of left it at that. And he's like, "All right, well, you know, if you if you do have to make that decision, give me a call and we'll get something sorted." But you know, his advice to me was, you know, if you can carry on playing, carry on playing. And that's the advice I got from everyone. And it's what I wanted to do. Um, was if I could find a way to keep playing, I was going to do it. Um, and I was still contacting USL teams just to see if there was any way we could find a coach who would be willing to work with me, you know, maybe manage my minutes throughout the week and, and play games on the weekend. Um, but yeah, I mean, it got to a point where I knew that um, I went in I went in on trial with a USL team and um, I, I just kind of made the decision there and then that I couldn't keep doing it. It was, it just wasn't any way to, 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 to play football. It was, I was training and then I would be having to sit out two or three days and then training again and, you know, minimum two or three days out. And, you know, I just knew it wasn't going to work. So it was about the 20th of Feb and I called up Jay. I said, listen, I've made the decision. I'm stopping playing. I said, you know, can we get something sorted? And and he said, yeah, you know, let's, let's do it. So it, it all happened pretty quick once I kind of committed to the decision that I had to retire, um, you know, and then within four or five days he said you know yeah he said let's get you back to Pittsburgh and I drove down one afternoon um went around and looked at apartments and houses picked one out drove back to Virginia we packed up the house and then three days later we were back in Pittsburgh wow I mean look listening to you you know and sort of hearing your story I think one of the other things that really sort of stands out is it seems like you're always thinking ahead you know, in college, you were thinking ahead, okay, let me get my classes done so that I can, you know, start doing USL. And in this case, you're thinking, okay, let me think ahead. So if I can't go, then I have a fallback plan. And I think some in the Steel Army went digging and saw that. Is it true you have your, your B coaching license? Yeah. 
Yeah, yes. I was able to obtain that well, at the end of, uh, I think it was, we did that in like September last year, yeah. So, yeah. so, you know, being someone who's always thinking ahead, you know, what what sort of goals have you set yourself for sort of this next phase of your career? What, where do you see yourself going with this? Um, right now, I just want to, I just want to coach as much as I can, just get as many hours in as I can, um, and just get as much experience as I can. You know, I've obviously coached in the academy before and I've worked with, with kids and I have my own ideas of how I want to coach and, and things like that. But really about right now, it's just about kind of making mistakes. So kind of how I was when I was 13, 14 years old as a player, you know, I feel like I'm kind of at that stage now as a coach where, I need to just dive in, fully commit to it, and um, and learn as learn along the way. And again, you know, I have, you know, I think I have a pretty good soccer knowledge. But um, there's going to be things that I learn. There's going to be things that I do wrong. I'm going to have to learn from the likes of Jason and, and Scott, who have been doing this for a long time. Um, and so right now, I just want to, you know, for at least you know the next couple of years, just um, just be as involved as I can, work with you know, the age groups that they put me with and and just kind of figure out what type of coach I'm gonna be. You know, it's you know, there's probably there's probably a lot more to coaching than I can even get my head around right now. So just yeah, just get stuck into it. Yeah, I mean, and you know, you've been gone for for two years from the organization. Obviously, you had the one game that you came back on loan, and you know, aptly scored from outside the box. But it sounds like you know, you you sort of stayed in touch with Jason, and so this this team has meant something to you. I guess coming back now, you know, as a coach and sort of seeing everything that's gone on over the past two years. Now that you're sort of within the organization, I guess have you seen sort of a big change in the mentality of the organization or is it still sort of the same, you know, heart and soul as when you were a player and just, it's, it's a different outside, I guess. What are your, um, what are your thoughts on, on just how the, the organization has grown over the past two years? It certainly has changed. Um, I think it's amazing when, when new coaches come into a team, even though their primary job is just, you know, head coaching that, that one team, it, it, it really does kind of change the, the way the whole club kind of looks and um, every coach brings their ideas, but it also kind of changes um, kind of the way the whole front office runs as well. And since I've left, a lot of kind of stuff has happened in the front office. There's been a lot of fires and, you know, in, in terms of marketing and stuff like that. So um, even when I came back um, for that game on loan, that was only probably six months after I'd left. And I could even tell then that, he was being very ambitious. He was making a lot of hires in the front office to try and to get to try and get this club moving. And I just feel like with the Riverhounds, there is just so much potential there. And quite took off for whatever reason. Um, and hopefully Bob can be the guy who you know just kind of takes the takes the shackles off and just lets them lets it run because you know it, you know you don't need me to tell you you know how good of a sports city Pittsburgh is and we've got the fans we've got a great stadium um it just it's just dying to for a good playoff run and just you know again I just feel like there's so much potential there and for whatever reason we just haven't quite delivered for for you know many years now but um I yeah there's definitely an optimism around the place I think the new era with the new um logos and stuff like that I think that is hopefully going to be a little 
a little boost. Um, and obviously Bob's experience and, you know, he's, he's a, a proven winner. Uh, hopefully he can get the pro team winning, get them in the playoffs, get a home playoff game. I think a home playoff game will be huge. Um, but yeah, you know, I think, I think that's, that's all we need. We just need, you know, the Academy's done such a fantastic job. Um, but the pro team is always going to be kind of how it's always going to be what the Riverhounds are looked at um, as is a pro team. Um, so we just need a little bit of success on the field and, and that will really, you know, kind of kick it off. Talking about home games and, and, you know, the product on the field. Last question I have, and, and it's likely the most important to our listeners. Now that you won't be on the field, you know, where will fans be able to find you on game day? I will definitely come and sit with the steel army. Nice. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, no, absolutely. I think that, I think that'd be great. Um, get down there, get rowdy. Um, it'll all depend on my, my wife. My wife's pretty quiet. So I can't imagine she'd be wanting to jump around and, and, you know, she's pretty quiet and she likes being a little bit private. So if my wife's there, I might go and sit up in the stands and, and put our hoods up and not let anyone see us. But if my wife's not going, I'll definitely come down and, jump around with the steel army and we'll have a good old time i'll tell you what i i can absolutely sympathize with that i have a wife and kids and when i when i bring the whole family i'm typically up in the stands but when i'm there by yeah. myself down with the steel army like there's there's nothing that compares to it just jumping yelling absolutely. the whole time it's it's a blast so yeah i'm sure that a yeah. lot of steel army members are thrilled to hear that and are looking forward to seeing you and you know welcoming you back to the city um Rob, it has been an honor and a pleasure. Welcome back to Pittsburgh and the Riverhounds family. Wishing you all the best this season and beyond, and I have no doubt that you're going to continue to be a positive force for this club. Thanks for uh, taking the time to talk to me tonight. I really appreciate it. No, thank you very much for having me. Um, and, yeah, again, I'm really excited. Um, obviously, joining the academy side, but I'm really excited to see where this pro team can go to, and um, hopefully it's going to be a good year. Absolutely. Thanks, Rob. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.